0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking so you can bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and the projects, and today is no exception. Some of you know that, for me, disability awareness is near and dear to my heart. After all, I'm disabled, my wife is disabled, so why wouldn't I care about it? Well, it's also near and dear to the heart of my guest, who has written the book Disability in the Way of Jesus. Holistic hearing in the Gospers and the Church, looking at what we see in the New Testament and seeing what it says about disability awareness. Her name is Bethany McKinney-Fox. She's a founding pastor of Beloved Everybody Church in Los Angeles and adjunct professor of Christian ethics at Fuller. She earned her Ph.D. in Christian ethics at Fuller Theological Seminary, <clears throat> her M.Div. at Columbia Theological Seminary, and her B.A. in Philosophy with a minor in Russian Literature from the University of California, ...at Los Angeles, UCLA. Her new book, Disability and Way of Jesus... ...Holistic Hearing, the Gospels Church... IVP Academic... <coughs> ...examines how Jesus' hearing the the Gospels... ...too often used in ways that wound people with disabilities... ...might point a way toward real hearing and mutual thriving. Dr. Fox is founding pastor of Beloved Everybody Church... ...a church startup where people, with and without intellectual disabilities... ...lead and participate together. She writes and speaks particularly on topics of disability, healing, and church practices to undergrad and graduate students, church leaders, and other people of faith around the country. So, Bethany, welcome to a Deeper Waters podcast.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Now, if my audience doesn't know much about you, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing?
1: Sure. Well, um, I guess it's just a long story, but um, I did first kind of have a friendship with somebody with an intellectual disability when i was in high school um and because that friendship was um just you know i I enjoyed it and it was really transformative for me i think it got me thinking about um the gifts of people with uh intellectual disabilities and the church and how we tended to not be doing things in a way that really included those gifts and so Mm -hmm. we were missing out on um, their participation and gifts and so I guess just over time and through more and more friendships with people with diverse kinds of disabilities, um, just felt like it was important to find ways for our churches to be um, really welcoming to the gifts of people of all abilities, just as a way to be a more um, whole body of Christ with um, all the gifts that people had to offer that God had given them. So that's kind of the the short answer.
0: Well, when I'm looking at this description, you talk about disability and healing, and both seem to be tied together, and some people, like myself, might look and say, why is it disability and healing is tied together? Because that could give the impression, you know, is there something wrong with us that we need to be healed?
1: Exactly. And I think that's, well, that was what propelled me to write this book um, about healing, was that, you know, I love Jesus, um, and I feel like, especially studying the Gospels and following Jesus has been a really important part of my life, Um, you know. And so then, you know, as I've, you know, befriended a lot of folks with disabilities, have realized that these texts about Jesus interacting with people um, and healing people, that the way these get interpreted theologically and then also some of the practices of healing that various churches adopt based on their reading of these texts um, can actually be really wounding for people with disabilities for just the reason that you're saying is that um, for so many people today, um, there's a way that a disability identity is nothing to be ashamed of or feel bad about, that it's just another way of being human. Um, And so, but unfortunately, you know, the ways the church and a lot of Christians have read these texts Um, have been through a kind of biomedical understanding. And so it's meant that the theology around it has um, implied just what you're saying, that people with disabilities are um, somehow, you know, need to be changed or that there's something wrong with them um, because of their disability. So I think I really, finding that out, finding out that people wanting to follow Jesus were harming people Um, is part of what made me want to really dig into these texts deeper to find out, is there a way we can kind of be faithful to the way of Jesus um, but not be causing harm, either in our theology or practices, um, for people with disabilities?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, you've probably met someone like me here. Like, If someone came out with some sort of miracle drug tomorrow that could cure all disabilities when given, my wife would probably want to be one of the first people in line to get fat. Me, mm-hmm. I would be there and say, forget it, I don't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Because for me, Asperger's gives me advantages that I don't want to risk losing because I don't want to lose some disadvantages. Mm-hmm. And so if someone comes to me and says, you know, that you need to be healed and things like that, that is pretty demeaning to someone like myself.
1: And that makes it really complicated, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think um, that's the whole thing in the disability community, is there isn't like one perspective on how people feel about their disability, Mm -hmm. whether people feel like it's a positive or not, or a mixture. I mean, there's so many different perspectives and different disabilities kind of have different components. You know, there are like people who have maybe a degenerative disease Mm -hmm. um, that causes disability in a progressive way that might be experienced differently than someone who's like blind from birth or someone who, you know, has Asperger's mm-hmm. or there are different kinds of things that are experienced differently and that cause different levels of pain and that impact life differently. And even just people are different in terms of how something does or doesn't feel integrated into their identity. So it's kind of like figuring out what does it mean for God to meet us all in our different places, and how do we have a theology that um, makes space
0: for all those different real-life experiences is a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about the way Jesus handles this, can't this be a bit difficult? Because usually when we read the Gospels, we go and we see an account and say a person blind, they come to Jesus, Jesus hears them. You never see Jesus having this long, protracted discussion about disabilities or anything like that. I mean, it seems to be the impression is, well, we go and we hear them, and that's it.
1: Yeah, so um, I think that, so this is where I feel like in the book, the way I talk about this is um, in a couple of ways. Number one is that, we do, because we kind of read these texts through our modern understanding of disability. Um, you know, like we're we're coming to these texts with our own assumptions already, like none of us reads the Bible, you know, just from a blank slate. We always are coming with our own understandings of what does health mean? What does healthy look like? What is a good body? What is a good mind? We have all these preconceptions as we go into the text. and. From a biomedical perspective, which most of us, that's how we think about bodies and health um, on the whole, you know, we look at these texts where Jesus encounters like, like you're saying somebody who's blind, and we associate the curing of the blindness with the healing that takes place. And I think um, we're actually missing quite a bit in a lot of the stories because if really these stories were just about some kind of physical cure, um they could be much shorter than um they they are you know so the reality is um we get all these other details that because we're reading through this modern lens of what we think health means and those kinds of things um, we're not considering the other aspects to be part of the healing that takes place Um, but really that's just our own bias that we're bringing to the text because people are being transformed in lots of ways um, in these narratives, but we're just kind of focusing on the bodily cure as if that's like the only thing that matters for what healing is. And I guess looking at it more holistically and especially through scholars with disabilities or other folks who kind of honor the experience of disability, there's a real awareness that people's lives and you know, are being, people are being transformed in much more holistic ways than just having this bodily cure happen. Um, and then beyond that, I think, is the issue that when we think about, you know, what does it look like to follow Jesus' healing way in our context today, we realize we have to do some kind of cultural um you know, we have to kind of analogically apply it culturally because obviously none of us, if we meet a blind person like in John 9, we're not going to spit into the dirt and create mud and like spread it in a blind person's eyes uh, because we recognize that that wouldn't actually be the right way to follow Jesus. Even though that is the exact thing that he did, we recognize that we are in a different place culturally. And so there's a way we have to realize that our practices Um, you know, when Jesus had these encounters with people with disabilities, he never, the person never left feeling more wounded or angry than before he had interacted with them. Mm -hmm. And so just like what you're saying, if somebody came up to you and tried and said, I want to cure you of your Asperger's or something, um, you would be really angry. And so that would really not be a healing experience for you. Mm -hmm. So even though they're talking about cure, There's a way that that isn't following Jesus because we have to look a little bit about how the person responds, and knowing that in the Gospels, people responded by being, you know, at at worst neutral, but often worshipful and positive. Um, And so. Yeah, we have to, yeah, so that makes sense about how we have to just kind of contextualize what does it mean to follow Jesus and um, and realize that it's not just about curing, especially if we're aware of the fact that we have to do some contextualization and people with disabilities are in a different place today in some ways than they were in such a different time.
0: Mm-hmm. Something I liked about your book also is when you start talking some about honor and shame in the world of the new testament since that's a, a big emphasis of my in my studies is seeing how honor and shame plays out and you made a distinction i thought was very important between illness and disease because today mm-hmm. we probably use the, the conditions interchangeably but you mm-hmm. don't use them that way
1: yeah well there's yeah and it was just um digging into some of these words in different ways and how people like medical anthropologists think about this um, is really interesting. And so I don't um, I don't have the book in front of me, so I hope I don't get this wrong. It's been a while since I've read my own book. but um, I know that I think illness is like the person's own narrative, is that right about their experience? And that's what you kind of have on the way to the doctor's office is that you have your own way of thinking about what's happening. In your body and in your mind, but disease is what gets named by the medical professional that you encounter, that they give you this diagnosis, um, and then gives you kind of a different name. So the illness experience is different in some ways than um, the disease. That's a little bit more, and and so it's and, and illness is also more is broader it, depending on the culture. Um, illness, like I I think I talk a lot about in the book, um, this book called The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down, which is um, a book where, like a Hmong refugee family, um, the daughter has some severe seizures and needs to go, and, and goes to the Western doctor to kind of get help because she had a very severe seizure that I think impacted her breathing and things. So. Anyway, the whole thing becomes just a real disconnect between Western medicine and um, their sense of what the illness means, because for Western doctors, they're really bodily focused and the disease is very much biomedical, whereas an illness can incorporate, especially in that culture, lots of aspects of their life beyond just their kind of bodily diagnosis, but it can be Things in the social world and personally and in the universe <laughs> that are going wrong beyond just, um, and spiritually, beyond just kind of a biomedical thing.
0: Yeah, one of the things I think was pointed out is the idea that uh, in Jesus' culture, when a man comes up and has leprosy, where... He's got a condition that is affecting his body, yes, Mm -hmm. but that's not the end of it. He also has a condition that is making him an outcast from society.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, and that's why, and that's the thing that we don't always, because if we're just thinking biomedically and just thinking about bodies and brains from a scientific perspective, then we're not um, taking into account this broader kind of social dimension of what it's like to have a disability. And the fact, especially in Jesus' time, and even in our time, but in different ways, people with disabilities have stigma, um, often are kind of thought to have sin associated with their disability, mm-hmm. um, and there's some amount of ostracization that happens, so... Um, It really is, you know, in part there is something happening in their body or brain, but there really is all these other dimensions that are also impacted um, socially and in other ways.
0: Yeah, I I think that usually when we have someone with disabilities come to church, we don't know how to handle it because it often can be assumed there's some sort of judgment going on there or they have a lack of faith. And something I've said that's being on the spectrum is that if someone comes into a wheelchair, okay, we all know not to challenge him to a foot race. But if I come in and you don't know me at the church and I'm on the spectrum, which I am, and you come up to me and you're all excited and you're wanting to greet me, I want to head for the heroes at that point. I want to get out of there because that is <laughs> very off-putting to me.
1: What would feel, what feels off-putting about a greeting?
0: Because, to me, it's kind of like, you know, I've got my own personal space, and when people come up to me and they're so exuberant, because I'm someone who's not very social, and I need to know how to trust people first, then it it seems like I'm trying to size you up and wonder, what's your real game? What do you really want?
1: So is it the, like, when someone's greeting you, is it like they're, um, if they're super excited, or is it if they touch you in a certain way, or is it just the tone of voice, or what is it about the...
0: It, it can be any combination, those if they're super excited, that's one thing, I don't like being touched, unless it's by my wife, that's the only, that's the only person I really like touching me. Mm-hmm. But when oldest, I mean, There was a time when my former roommate and I, before I got married, we went to a Jehovah's Witness church and because we have not visiting us we are apologists so that's what we do and at the end people came around us and it was love bombing mm. as it were and i remember this lady mm-hmm. comes up here and takes my hand and starts shaking and tells me her name i knew what to do but i needed my roommate nearby to suddenly say say your name so I could know what to do, because for me, it was such an overload, all these people. I didn't know who they were, they what were, were why were they doing this. I mean, it, it's just very offsetting. mm mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, how, how can the church handle these things? Because honestly, they can't look at me and just look and say... Oh, he has asperger's just like like they can with a guy in a wheelchair and say, "Oh he's in a wheelchair how How can the church learn to be more sensitive in these matters in case someone does have a disability and they don't know about it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So this is just one very practical thing that we do at our church that I'll name um, and I actually did adapt something from Mensa that I heard, because there are actually a lot of people, autistic folks and other people on the spectrum in Mensa, um, and that, and that's kind of why they developed this. But we have, a, when people wear name tags, they have like a little color on there to, demo, to, to acknowledge how much physical touch they're comfortable with. Yes. Um, so when somebody comes in, and we use like a stoplight to, because that's something for people with intellectual disabilities and for people of all levels, Um, We're kind of very familiar with like the red, yellow, green of a stoplight. Mm. So if somebody has like a red on their name tag, that means that, you know, you can wave or you can smile, but like don't touch them. Um, If there's a yellow, it means you can have like a handshake or a high five. And if it's green, then you can ask the person for a hug. Um, So that's only just one thing. But it is a way that we've kind of tried to acknowledge because church can be a really uncomfortable space for for a lot of reasons, for even mm-hmm. people without disabilities who don't want to be touched all the time, um, but particularly for folks who touch um, is especially sensitive. Um, it's important for us to like le- be able to like learn what people's mm-hmm. comfort level is. and So that's just a small way that we kind of try to make the church space more thoughtful about how we engage new people and how we let people choose the level of physical engagement. We also have, um, so our church is pretty interactive. And so there is a lot of conversation or um, participation. Um, but we also do have like a table or like a pew or like we, we designate a space that's like the silent area. So for people who at any point during the service or for the whole service or whatever want just to kind of sit silently and not to be interacting or participating, they can go to that area. Um, So those are, and we're just a pretty small community at this point. So I know there are more things um, people can do. And obviously just building awareness and talking about these things more as a community is a way that it's just on people's radar Mm -hmm. so that when they meet someone, they know that people engage in different ways. And so not to expect that everybody they interact with is going to want to interact the way that they do and to be able to just be attentive to that. And I think it also goes to helping people who, and and for some people, this isn't always possible, but trying to allow people who have disabilities and certain needs and ways of interacting to also feel empowered to be able to name that for the people that they meet Mm -hmm. as well and to ask for what they need in the interaction.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's also something important to talk about that. We talk about healing, and we did speak somewhat negative, but there are some people on the spectrum, or any number of disparities, who would like some healing. And so mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong, I think, with some churches having what are called healing serf- healing services, but there can be a great danger in that as well, that if someone doesn't get a healing like they want, then it's, well, you just don't have enough faith Right.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's also the issue is, like, I have no problem with healing services, but the problem is when we think healing and curing are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think someone could leave a healing service, and, and maybe some people do want to be cured, and that's fine, and we can pray for that. And if they don't get cured, we can still talk about, well, are there still ways for you to experience healing? even if you're not cured, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, are there ways for you to experience some more social integration or for you to be able to live out your gifts more fully or um, to experience some spiritual transformation? And these are all examples of healing that happen in the gospel stories, um, but because we're fixated on just what happens to the body or mind in terms of a diagnosis, we kind of miss the healing that could take place because we're only looking for the cure. Mm -hmm.
0: I'd like to remind everyone at this point, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. My guest is um, Bethany McKinney-Fox. We are talking about her book, Disability in the Way of Jesus. But if you're here next week, I'm going to have Mary DeB- DeMuff on. And she's going to be talking about her book, We Too, a look at sexual abuse in the church. And I, I like that distinction you made. My, my wife has borderline instance and mm-hmm. uh, i know sometimes she's scared to go to church because being like sure ruin people's moods or people don't know how to handle her and things like that and sadly in some cases in a lot of churches there probably is some truth to that because a yeah. lot of churches don't do a good job of this kind of thing and that's like that we can work on even if we can't cure for condition, we can't bring some healing, can't we to people who are suffering say, Hey, you know, as cliche as it is, it's okay to not be okay.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think that um I don't know, I think that for disabilities that are not as apparent and like mental health struggles, um, I think it's really part of just being able to talk about it and not keeping it hidden. Because I think uh, church sometimes, and it depends on the kind of church and the region and there's a lot of different things, but churches can often be places where um, people feel like they have to pretend to have it all together or they want to focus on being positive or having a positive attitude or something, and so sometimes to talk about things that feel difficult or painful. Um, some churches have a struggle with that so um, it's just uh, I think part of it is just taking time to educate the community about different kinds of mental health struggles Mm -hmm. people might be dealing with whether that be um, borderline or just depression or PTSD or anxiety disorders or all kinds of things but to kind of bring it out of the shadows and into something that we can really talk about as okay what does it mean to be followers of Jesus who are struggling with our mental health? And how can we be a community that supports one another in our various um, struggles of all kinds, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because people do treat people with mental illnesses often as a stigma. One of my biggest pet peeves really is whenever we have a school a school shooting or a mass shooting of any contact place, one of the first things, trotted out people talk about, Mental illness, mental illness, mental illness. And that's what we get, get identified. Of. And sometimes i say, you know, maybe someone goes on a school shooting and they're not mentally ill. They're just evil.
1: And I, and I think, well, and I think the, the point too is even if, because it, it's kind of hard to imagine anybody could do something like mm-hmm. that and be completely in their right mind for what, whatever we mean by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, That doesn't we can't draw any conclusions from that about people with mental health conditions in general, Mm. just like you're saying it's ridiculous to kind of think that that says anything more broadly about people who do struggle with their mental health. And there is a way that it unfairly does create even more um, barriers for people with mental health conditions to be able to be embraced and befriended and for people to get over their own fear of what it means to interact with somebody with a mental health condition. Mm -hmm.
0: And something also is that those of us who do have these conditions, we can still contribute to the community. Uh, I've had had Hugh Ross on the show several times. He has Asperger's, and he's been very open about that. Uh, One of my favorite talks I like to give at churches is one called, Is the Disabled My Neighbor?, where, I mean, I of course, being on the spectrum, I focus on that disability, but I talk about what it's like to be disabled and to be a member of a church, of a body. And I I and I, my wife and I, we've gotten in trouble before in group settings at churches, and treated in ways I think were very wrongly, because we were kind of expected to be neurotypical. One of the things I've done, for instance, is this is the kind of stuff I love talking about. And so when we have this kind of topic show up in a, in a small group setting, I'm raising my hand, and I'm going on and on, and I'm not remembering other people aren't as enthused about this as I am. <laughs> yeah. And some people have said, you just want to dominate. You just want to teach the class." No, I'm just really excited about the topic and I want to share, but unfortunately oh. they tend to throw us out after a while.
1: Mm. You mean they tell you not to come back?
0: That's happened before, yes.
1: And is it It's because they feel like you're not making space for other people to share? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yep. Okay,
1: so what in that space, what would because obviously it is good in a small group for there to be Mm -hmm. people taking turns talking and everything. Mm -hmm. So I know in our community we have someone on the spectrum who he finds it helpful for me to be able to step in at times to say, hey, I think maybe now it's a good time to hear from somebody else. And I think he likes that very clear direction Mm -hmm. um, and that's helpful to him. But I don't know if that's something that would be helpful to you or how you. Like that,
0: to navigate it. Yeah, we've, we've got a situation like that. And uh, we have a church that we used to attend. We still attend a small group sometimes. And one of the ladies there is a teacher who works with special education students. So she knows how to work with us. And uh, I, I do remember one time, because one of the issues I have which I understand is common on the spectrum, is I have problems with food. Mm-hmm. And I'm very finicky about what I eat. And so we're yeah. at this event once, and Ali's sees me just sitting on the couch reading my book, which I'm just fine with. says, look, go get something to eat. Get some snack, something. And I'm fine, like, Psh, okay, fine. I'll go get something. And I do, and when I do that, the hostess sees me and comes ring me. Oh, Nick, you're eating something. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And I froze right on the spot. Now, I started laughing some at first, and then she stopped. Wait, wait. He's not joking. There's something <clears throat> wrong with this. And I can't yeah. even explain what it was, but pretty much my whole evening was shot from that point on. Cause wow. I, And it it, like it was a Christmas party, too. So, yeah opening gifts and it didn't really mean much anything to me now the lady and I made made things right to her and she talked to her. my wife said I did I didn't know he'd respond I didn't mean to and she said look don't worry about it give him some time he'll be fine but, yeah and I think
1: well, it's, and, and again I think part of that is also regional because you're in the south and my husband is from the south and I think especially in the south in a kind of Party atmosphere, there's a real emphasis on people needing to like eat the food as like a participation in the event.
0: Uh Yeah. Well, you also went and you talked to seven different large churches in your area to see what they had to say about disability and disability ministry. Can you tell us some about that?
1: Sure. Um, And they actually weren't all large, a couple of them were large, but some were like very small. Um, and so because I was intentionally kind of trying to talk to a diversity of churches so the idea was to be able to um, talk to pastors and figure out how do people think about these healing stories of Jesus, how does that impact how they think about disability and how they think about healing and how they practice that kind of healing and what they do in their own communities Um, so i would i went to um i actually talked i think seven made it into the book, but I think I actually talked to more like nine um churches like i cut it i cut it down a little bit for the sake of readability but um and so these were churches of different ethnicities, different traditions spanning you know from very progressive to um very traditional and lots of um yeah just everything in between and so Um, It was helpful to just kind of talk to pastors and get a sense of, um, first of all, you know, I would ask them the question, um, something like, you know, tell me about the folks with disabilities in your community, which really was my way of getting at understanding how they understood disability and what kinds of things they included under the umbrella of disability. Um, Because I think for a lot of people, they think about, People in wheelchairs is like the first thing people tend to think about if they don't think about disability a lot. Um, I think that's kind of the go-to thing that people think about first. Um, and then sometimes if they do have people who have more um, more significant intellectual disabilities um, or are um, kind of on the spectrum and seem more impacted to them, they might think about something like that. Um, but often they don't think about things like mental health. Um, they, you know, there's there's a there's a limited kind of range of what people tend to think about when they think about disability. Um, and then, you know, so so most churches tended to be very. Um, they everybody kind of cares about people with disabilities. You know what I mean? Like, every, no church was wants to be stigmatizing. At least none of the ones that I talked to. Um, There was one church that was, like, run by a faith healer, and he definitely was very much into, like, needing to cure everybody um, and definitely did see disability as this very negative thing connected to, like, sin or Satan and things like that. But beyond him, um, everybody else really wanted to try to be a space where people with disabilities were welcomed. Um, I think something I did notice was that churches tended to be much more responsive instead of proactive. So instead of kind of anticipating uh, what kinds of disabilities might be present in the community or um, wanting to make their space accessible, both physically and socially, um, instead they would wait until kind of somebody came into the community and the things didn't work for them and then try to like adapt to that person. So it tended to be very practical and response driven um and not that deeply rooted theologically beyond like we want to be nice to people and we want to try to include people um but there wasn't a lot of like proactive work to like be a community that values and includes people with disabilities it tended to really be like a problem solution Mm. sort of mindset
0: isn't that part of the whole thing with uh, how we view these people sometimes that I know one of my wife's favorite terms to use for herself, sadly, sometimes, is broken. And I don't like that kind of terminology. You can see, I a depressed mindset that says, no one can fix me. I say, honey, you're not a problem to be fixed. You're a person to be loved. And yet, too often, that does seem to be the thing when someone with a disability comes in. Instead of focusing on how we can minister to them, maybe in a way they want to be ministered to, it becomes... How can we fix them? Because, you know, they need to be just like us.
1: Right. And I think, um, and that's part of the problem of, like, not having a proactive sense of educating ourselves about disability as a church and just being responsive. It's that we create kinds of um, rituals. And so this is both in the how they actually run the service, but then also some of the things you're talking about, about social expectations um, that happen before and after the service or at small groups. Um, But they kind of create a culture that is based on the people that are there and on themselves. And they're not really thinking about people that might come who need things to be a different way. And so when people come and don't fit into the structure, instead of them recognizing, oh, maybe our structure needs to be adapted to be more welcoming to folks. They think, oh, these people are so messed up because they can't fit into the structure we've made. And so in a way, they end up really being a lot more concerned and connected to the structure than they are about actual human beings.
0: I know when at this point you're listening to Deeper Waters Podcast. We're only here for an hour today, but everything we do here is supported by listeners like you. And I want to encourage you to please go to our website, DeeperWaters Apologetics.com. On the side you'll see a link about help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And there's a button there. You can click a, a link. It takes you to the Ministry of Risen Jesus. You've gone to the right place. Those are my in laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. You make a donation and it's tax deductible. You get in touch with one of them, or me, or Allie, and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. We will give that donation and it will be tax deductible. You can also go and buy some ebooks that I've written. I'm working on another ebook now, a response to Richard Dawkins' Outgrowing God. But one that I've got out of right I've written is A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed, and Today's Christian. I've co written Defining Inerrancy, Contextualizing Inerrancy, Groundless, God and Natural Disasters, Christian Answers for Rich Generations Questions, and The Mention of Bars Project. And if you can't do it, any of these, please go on iTunes and leave a positive review for Deeper Waters podcast. I'd really love to see them. It, it helps me so much, gives so much encouragement. Now Bethany, do you have an organization or a charity you doxy people donate to?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I suppose our church. Um, they can go to our church website, which is belovedeverybody.org. The name of the church is Beloved Everybody Church. Um, it's our church where people with and without intellectual disabilities lead and participate together. Um, so if you go to our website, uh, BelovedEverybody.org, and you can click on Donate um, and then make a donation to the work of our ministry. Mm-hmm. That would be great.
0: So now let's get back into your book with discussing disability and the way of Jesus and how churches can better handle these kinds of things. I, I can't but keep thinking about James 2 in this context, that if we placed we replaced poor with disabled, in there it could probably make a lot of sense and that you know the church is supposed to be for people who are normal and if you have any signs of illness or sickness in the church where Jesus isn't doing his healing as he should.
1: Yeah, and I think especially the stuff about mm-hmm. favoritism and who we, mm-hmm. um, take to be the most important in the community and what kind of role we give people, um, mm-hmm. is important too. And especially thinking about people with disabilities. And I think you mentioned this a little bit earlier in our conversation, but people with disabilities are so often considered the objects mm-hmm. of ministry rather than people who right. can do ministry. Um, especially in churches, and I think that that's just another way we kind of have this hierarchy of gifts or hierarchy of way of doing things that um, isn't necessarily rooted in good Mm -hmm. theology. It's just kind of rooted in our social Mm -hmm. norms.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things you talk about in your book, that can show this, is if you have a class, like a Sunday school class, and there's a section just for people who are disabled, as if they get their own session, their own particular class, kind of say, hey, let's uh, separate the clean from the unclean here. Mm.
1: Yeah, and that happens quite a bit, which is why I feel like what we're doing in our church is um, a little bit outside the norm. It's a little bit new in the sense that a lot of churches, especially big churches, uh, like to start a kind of segregated special needs ministry, um, and I'm not yeah. disparaging this. It's nice for people to have options um, for what kinds of things they like to be a part of. But there is, it is interesting to me that um, you know when we think about how to include people with intellectual disabilities, and I, I talk about this in the book as well that, um, and this goes back to what I was just saying a minute ago about how we're very kind of, we want to keep our structures mm-hmm. the way that they are, and so because of that, um, if somebody with an intellectual disability were to come in, because they don't necessarily fit into the structures the way we designed them, instead of changing our structures, we say, okay, these people with disabilities need to go to these, we have to create a new structure for them, instead of saying... I wonder how we can do our gathering differently to really welcome people who engage in lots of different ways. Instead of doing that, we kind of create a segregated space where people with disabilities can go. And I think about Jesus, and I think about the reality that very often Jesus was encountering people with disabilities and hanging out with them, and part of us as churches, if we really want to be followers of Jesus, it means that we're around people with disabilities quite a bit, that they're in the mix just as they were uh, when Jesus was here. And so if we're kind of creating segregated spaces where there isn't even interaction between people of all different abilities, um, there's a way that we're not doing things the way Jesus did. So it's important to think about that.
0: Okay, so someone like myself with my abilities, I can teach a seminar on apologetics or anything like that. I can do a debate. But some people might be wondering, including some disabled, geez, what can I do to contribute to the church?
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's very individual. And I think the thing is, it's really sad that we've created churches where the only gifts that tend to get uplifted are very verbal, intellectual sort of gifts or music. Mm. There are people like if you can make music, great, you can be on the worship team. If not, you better be a good talker and kind of smart. So those are kinds of the only categories we tend to have. Um, but I've noticed, you know, even... So we have people in our church who might not be very verbal at all. Um, they might not use language and um, to, to communicate primarily. They might communicate in other ways um, or not communicate that directly. Um, but there's a different way that they bring a gift to the community. So sometimes... Um, for somebody who doesn't use words, it invites us to engage in different ways, uh, with our bodies or with our, um, with, you know, nonverbal ways of communicating. And so I think that there's a way that, um, that can be helpful to bring, should help us engage differently and to connect us more, to help slow us down for some people with, you know, when I've had, um, some leadership done or, or participate with somebody with an intellectual disability who does something much more slowly. There's a way that for those of us who are so fast-paced, um, it's really kind of a lovely leadership for someone to slow us down and to make us more thoughtful and intentional about what we're doing in the moment and to think about where God is in the moment instead of just rushing around to the next thing. Um, so I feel like people have lots of different gifts and we would recognize that as a church if we weren't just so fixated on, on, on only very specific kinds of gifts.
0: Yeah, you know, one way I was thinking about that when you were speaking is, uh, we've had a. I've got a very good friend who's told me this before. He says, "Nick, you know, I think you're an awesome guy and everything like that, but if I have got a problem and I need someone to talk to, I'm calling my wife first or your wife first because she is a much better listener." Than you are. <laughs> uh-huh. And he is absolutely right with that. I'm not yeah. going to dispute that because if we're at a church service and someone comes to you got a problem, I'm trying to figure out ways they can solve that problem immediately. Yeah. My wife would be the first one to sit down, listen to him, ask, hey, can I give you a hug? Be willing to pray with him. Mm-hmm. Everything. So I say, look, if you're in a situation, come to the appropriate one. I'm the head, she's the heart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think being able to make space for those different ways of engaging, and for people with heart gifts to be um, able to have space to use those gifts, and to know that those are in- important parts of the community, um, and to regularly name those different kinds of things is really is really important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And. So I, I just got a bit distracted. I'm looking when there was a couple of hard balloons out here. Very surprising. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I just, I think also sometimes people who are disabled, they can come out and they can give their own stories. They can open up about what's going on with them, and they can reach other people who are disabled that people of a different disability might not even be able to reach.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I did work before I moved on to spending more time working with the church. For years I worked at a seminary doing their kind of uh, disability, in their disability office, so to make sure students with disabilities had access to their classes and things. And there was a school of psychology, so people training to be therapists and things, and it was, you know, there would be people training to be therapists who also had some significant mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. And so, on one hand, people feared, you know, being stigmatized by saying, oh, how can I be a therapist or a pastor or whatever um, and have these struggles? But the reality is, um, there's a way that as someone with a mental health condition, you have an inside. Ability to re- resonate or to connect that people who haven't had that experience don't have, and you know the same with pastors with disabilities um, of all kinds. It's just really helpful. Actually, it's a it's an area of experience and expertise that actually enriches ministry rather than being like a hindrance. But I think we don't always think of it like that because disability tends to this negative trait. It tends to be perceived in that way. Mm -hmm. So instead of it realizing something that can enhance someone's leadership or ministry, it's thought of as a detractor or like a burden or a barrier.
0: If anything, I I sometimes tell my wife that you know if if I am in the Bible right here and I think I am, you go to patch like First Corinthians one. We're some of the favorite ones for God to use if we're disabled, because you can look and say, hey, um, it's not because we are so awesome. We're not. We are extremely flawed instruments in this regard, and we're still being used by God.
1: Right, exactly. And um, so, you know, like I I mentioned to you, um, before we got started is tomorrow I'm having my ordination service. And so one of the texts that we're reading is um, the Corinthians 5 text about having the treasure, or maybe 7, sorry, I'm not good at remembering numbers, but um, about having the treasure in clay jars, so that we know that. Um, I think it's First Corinthians four. Four. Okay. So, but we so we know that the treasure is from God and not from us. And I think th- that applies to all people, not just people with disabilities, because all of us are not God, and all of us have limitations of different kinds. Um, but I think for people with disabilities, they don't have. They often not not always, but for some people with disabilities, they don't have the. They can't kind of hide what their limitations are, or pretend that they have it all together in the way that people with um, that other people can kind of manage for a little bit of time to pretend that they have it all together. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a way that, just like what you're saying, you know, recognizing that the power and the the beauty of the ministry is coming because the Holy Spirit is working through us. That's true for everybody, but there's a way that we can notice it differently when. Someone's vulnerabilities are also really obvious.
0: Yeah. Uh, my mind right now is Senior you trying to tell me. Yeah, it could very well be Second Corinthians four as well. Yeah, I think it's
1: Second Corinthians. Yeah,
0: yeah, that, that that's the way I am with uh, biblical references and being able to remember them very well. Um, at, we're nearing the time how we have to go soon because you can only be here for an hour. What are some What's some advice you would give to churches? That's the first question. The second part, you know, in reaching a disabled, the second part, what would you say in terms of a disabled person who's scared to go to church for whatever reason?
1: Yeah, okay, so I'll start with the first question. Um, So for churches, I would say to begin thinking before, well, first of all, I would say you have people with disabilities in your congregation already, Mm -hmm. even if you don't know that you do. Um, I'm sure that every church has people who are struggling with mental health, people who probably have hearing impairments or other kinds of um, difficulties with mobility. And so I think whether or not those people use the label of disability, the reality is we all have a diversity of abilities in our churches already. And so if people are kind of thinking, we don't need to think about disability because we don't have those here or some kind of ridiculous thing like that that's just not true. Um, so first of all, to maybe make space for people to talk more freely about some of those things that they experience, um, maybe to do some kind of book study, either my book or there's plenty of other things people can read. Um, but to begin to just talk about how do we think about disability as a church? What's our theology? Where are we getting that? And to just open up some conversational space, um, And then something that, I I can't remember who posted this right now, but I wish I remembered, but someone posted uh, on, I think on Twitter a while back saying, all are welcome here is really different from we created this with you in mind. Mm
0: -hmm. And so a lot Mm. of churches
1: are really big on saying all are welcome here, like come, you're welcome to be here. Um, But that's, it's kind of vague and you really, it's not true is the thing. Um, because there's lots of people who aren't going to be welcome because of the way they've chosen to structure their gatherings.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so for churches to then be a little bit thoughtful about people who aren't there um, and wondering about ways to be more um, you know, thoughtful about how would somebody who doesn't hear as well, can how can they connect? Maybe there should be a printout of the sermon ahead of time so that someone can follow along if they need to. Or, I mean, there's ways, there's all kinds of resources. People can look online for uh, ways to create a more accessible uh, church atmosphere and ways to make their practices more accessible. Um, But I would say just beginning to talk about it as a community and to develop a value for being a place where um, people of all abilities can be part of the community and to just have that conversation and to name it regularly Um, is an important step toward being um, a place that people with disabilities might be able to be
0: more welcomed. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to a disabled person who's scared to go to church?
1: Well, I would say that is very understandable Mm. because um, churches have really not done a great job of uh, affirming the gifts of people with disabilities, of welcoming them and caring about how they like to engage or be present. Um, So I think that something I've heard uh, people doing is before, because I think, you know, you know yourself best. And and I'm speaking just to the person with a disability. You know what you can handle and you know whether you're someone who can visit a church and just see how it goes or whether that's just going to be too much of a burden Mm -hmm. or um, really exhausting. And so, I think it's, it can be good in advance to reach out to the pastor via email or whatever way of communication is comfortable for you to say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. I would love to check out your church. Um, here are some things I might need to be able to participate. Does that seem like something that would work for you or whatever? Or even like, can we meet for a cup of coffee before um, like, in sometime during the week just to kind of talk about some of these mm-hmm. things so I can figure out if your community might be a space where I can engage or not. Um, but I would say to do some some self, self-assessment first about what do you need in the congregation and what kinds of supports would help you to be able to engage. And also, where would you like to lead? How would you like to be able to use your gifts? Um, is there an important theological aspect about disability, like, do you want to make sure that the church isn't going to try to cure you? I think that those are things to kind of t- think about ahead of time. What are the things you are looking for in a church? And then to be able to, um, before you kind of jump head first, <laughs> maybe to, um, set up and if like a pastor or a leader, just to kind of talk a little bit about where you're coming from and to find out if that might be a community that fits for you. Um, But I also just want to say God has, even if the church has been difficult, if you've had to leave the church, God has gone Mm -hmm. with you. (laughs) And so, um, you know, just to to have faith that um, you are not forgotten by God and you're continued to be loved by God, even when um, God's people don't do things in the best way.
0: Okay, the book is Disability and the Way of Jesus. Holistic hearing of the gospels in the church. The paperback version can be bought as a time recording new on Amazon for seventeen fifty two. Kinder version fifteen ninety nine. Now Bethany, do you have a blog, a website, an email, or a way people can get in touch with you if they wanna find out more?
1: I do have a website which I I've been trying to blog a little bit more now that I'm um, not working at my other job full time. And so that is just BethanyMcKinneyFox.com. There's an email address on there, and my blog is on there as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you have any final thoughts for the Deeper Waters audience that you'd like to leave?
1: Um, Just that, you know, I'm grateful for your work here um, and the ways that you are using your gifts, and I'm glad that there's space for that, and I hope that all of us can be encouraged uh, to use our own gifts as well in the contexts where we find ourselves
0: well I'd like to thank you for coming on and hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime
1: yes thank you so much it was great to talk with you
0: I'd like to remind everyone next week we're going to have Mary DeMuff on talking about her book We Too about sexual abuse and the church day now I'm Nick Peters I affirm the virgin birth and I'm signing off